accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the premiere episode of the sixth season. We're almost done with the series. It is called A Time to Stand. It was uh, aired on September 29th, 1997, written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beemler, his new uh, co-writer, since Robert Hewitt Wolf has left the show at this point. Directed by Alan Croker. In this episode, with the Dominion on track to winning the war against the Federation, Sisko and his crew take a captured Jem'Hadar ship into enemy territory with a mission to cut off the Jem'Hadar supply of Ketracel White in the Alpha Quadrant. It's the season premiere. It's called A Time to Stand. We're right in the middle of the um, DS9 occupation arc, I guess, is a better way to put it than the Dominion War arc. Uh, but here we are at the start of season six. Clay, how are you? Good. Go for the tube. Like I said, always go for the tube. This is a larger version of going for the tube. <laughs> also, <laughs> go for the big, t- go for the biggest yeah, tube. Go for That's the big tube. Uh, also, how, how many times have you had that weird uh, intimate relationship talk with your wife? And like ended by creepily putting your hand on her face. <laughs> that's, I feel like that's a great way to end any argument that you're having. It, it's a, it's a great way to end any conversation you're having. I think it's a good power move, though. It's a definite, uh, yeah. definitely nothing women enjoy more than a condescending uh, hand on the face. I think is something yeah. that I've learned in my 35 years. So, good way to end most arguments and arguably most relationships. <laughs> I said, would you rather I put it on your ass, is what I'd say to her if she got upset. <laughs> um, let's see here. So we're going to talk about Time to Stand. It is the whether or not you consider this the first or the second part. I would consider Call to Arms to be a part of this arc. So I'm going to say this is the sepin, second episode of seven of a sepin, seven episode arc. Jesus, let's get the going here. <laughs> we're going to uh, take a break. You got to do your you got to do your voice exercises, man. It's been too long. <laughs> I need a uh, unique a gr- New York. A Granny Smith apple, I think, to help with the uh, the spits, and then I'll get my my tongue twisters out of the way. It feels like we haven't done a recording in a while, though, Clay. Actually, it's been it's been like two weeks, I think. So I'm a little bit out of out of sorts here. Um, let's see. Feels we, like we've been on the defiant for 21 days. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break down a time to stand. Permanent documentation file. Ducat SG. Each day brings reports of new victories. The war continues to go well. The enemy is retreating on almost all fronts. It's only a matter of time before the Federation collapses and Earth becomes another conquered planet under Dominion rule. All in all, it's a good time for Cardassia and the Dominion. All right, Clay. So after the the hot events of Call to Arms, which was the season finale for the last, uh, the fifth season... We're now mm-hmm. into this premiere, which is definitely more serialized than the show has ever been to this point. We're three months later. They jump three months into the future. The war isn't going well for the Federation. They hatch a desperate plot, as desperate plots are wont to do, where they have to go and try to destroy a Ketracel White facility. And then we check back in with DS9 every once in a while. I guess I'll um, I'll, I'll throw this one to you by saying that this... This is kind of this arc is kind of considered to be DS9 sort of pinnacle about what they accomplished uh, mm-hmm. over the course of their series. They will towards the end of the series in the seventh season. They also end with a ten episode serialized story. Oh, um, really? Cool. So they they try it again, 
But they do. Are, are, is every episode an hour and a half, and it's ultimately kind of unfulfilling, <laughs> depending on who you talk to? <laughs> Gold Ducat uh, eventually burns down DS9, but everyone's like, well, why does he do that? What's what's going on yeah. with that? Big, big heel turn for Kira coming at the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> they foreshadowed it, Clay. They foreshadowed yeah. it. Um, but needless to say, they will come back to this kind of serialized storytelling, but they are also going to go back to the episodic stuff after this all kind of wraps up. But this is... Um, the most serialized that the show ever gets, really. This is all one continuing storyline. And I think it's interesting because it's like, it's baby steps. Uh, on the Discord, someone, where there was a conversation about like where DS9 should kind of be held in the, like, the pantheon of sci-fi and like what people think about it. And I think listener Steven said it best where it's like, it's probably overrated in the pantheon of, star- mm. of uh, sci-fi series, but that's not to say that it's not important for what Star Trek was trying to do. I think that, this is like the reason I like this arc and why I think it holds up well and why I think it um people respect it a lot or talk about it is because it's both incredibly different from anything Star Trek had done, but at the same time it has these crippling Star Trek problems to it, I think, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So to throw it to you, I'm gonna say that this episode is really fascinating for me and it's going to be a hard one to grade because i adore everything that happens on ds9 with the ds9 characters who are on the station which is kira mm-hmm. odo Wayun, ducat damar and things like that and quark i think all of those scenes except for maybe the one where jake Sisko and Wayun talk about freedom of the press are outstanding i think they're all really really great and i also dislike intensely the problem that we always have, which is the Defiant storyline is on a ship on the Defiant trying to get somewhere the entire time. Yeah. And yeah. that's always been a problem. And just because the series is getting better doesn't mean it's not a problem anymore. That's that's my general sense of this episode. I really love the DS9 stuff. The stuff on the Defiant is kind of hokey in a lot of ways, and it's not as good as the stuff on DS9, where the DS9 stuff feels really modern in a lot of ways there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like subtext and a lot of like different changing of what characters are doing because they're in a totally different situation and then you contrast that with the defiant which is a lot of we've already been here in a lot of episodes seeing the defiant into jemhadar territory trying to be secret they're going somewhere they're going to do something boom that's it um yeah yeah what do you think um yeah you know i i really like the deep space nine stuff uh i'm sorry the Tarek noir stuff Tarek. or Tarek noir around. is it noir is it like french for black or is it a cardassian Car- word it's a lot of odo uh, smoking cigarettes in the shadows and you know what noir. just to piss everybody off i'm gonna say it's it's noir n-o-i-r-e um yeah, I like that stuff a lot. I uh, I actually even liked the 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 scene with Jake and Wayun. I thought that was kind of fun. I it was a uh, I I liked the way that Wayun was um, doing that sweet talking thing where he's like, "Listen, I mean, look at all these bad things we haven't done. Don't you think that's a good enough reason to maybe let us control what you say about us a little bit more? You know, it was a, it was a nice." Uh, 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 dictatorial control of the of the press kind of thing, which I which I enjoyed. I I, um, I think my problem with that is that in contrast to like the Kira and Ducat scene where there's like an implied sexual assault about to happen that they never really spell out. The Jake and Wayun thing is all textual. There's like no subtext to anything yeah, that's going yeah. on. They're, they're bluntly <laughs> stating what exactly is happening. Yeah, you want you want some weird like quid sexual quid pro quo <laughs> subtext to that scene. <laughs> <laughs> to the to the Jake and Wayun. I think I think I'm not gonna just write Dominion propaganda, no, but uh <laughs> you could do other things for me. I've 
I've heard tales about about your exploits. Kid. Jake, you, you, or should I call you Jake Cisco? <laughs> fuck machine. You, you, you want to get things published. So there's a long line. Yeah. There is a way to the front of the line, just so you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I also, like, I, it's also a nice contrast with the Kira and, and Ducat scene because it, because it ends with Jake kind of just being like, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I'll be, I guess I'll be nicer. Yeah. Like he kind of, he kind of demures pretty quickly, which honestly I would kind of expect him to do being a first time journalist uh, that maybe hasn't figured out how to stick to his principles yet in the face of, you know, certain death. And he's still just a kid. Um, he's still just like, yeah, this exactly. He's kid. a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like some of the stuff on the defiant. Uh, I thought the talk with his, with Cisco's dad was kind of nice. Did you like that? Um, well, I I liked a little. I I thought generally it was it was didn't really add much, but I did like the line where he said, uh, uh, "How come how come it's not big enough that we can't? I mean, why isn't the, the universe is big enough? Why can't people just leave each other alone? Yeah, that's which that's is a, a real point. yeah yeah because it's like it's kind of a um, taking to task the the whole conceit of Star Trek, <laughs> which is like yeah, there's a whole universe out there, but for some reason everybody's just fighting over this one quadrant of a single galaxy, right? Um. But yeah, you know, I like that sentiment, even though the, the rest of the scene was kind of hokey. Yeah, it has. I think it's just cliche. Like I have, come, yeah. I would say that I, those scenes, and including the the father Cisco and Ben Cisco talk, all the defiant Starfleet stuff here feels hokey in a way that it's like it's what I would expect from Star Trek. Like it's Bashir yes. going like, yeah. we can't stand these kind of losses and win this war. It's like very yeah. very melodramatic, like war pro- proclamations and people slamming tables and stuff where. The, the stuff on DS9 feels really more subtle than that. Like, it actually feels yeah, like yeah. It, it feels like a slower pace where the stuff on the station feels like it would unfold that way. And the Defiant stuff feels like it's a Star Trek plot that's like, this thing is going to happen now, this is going to happen, and we're going to kick off into this little adventure where we do this thing and blow it up and blah, blah, blah. But it, it feels very... It doesn't feel mature in the way that the DS9 yeah. stuff does. And I think that's my biggest problem with it. I don't think it's bad by any stretch, but it, it feels very much like older Star Trek. And what's funny is that the, the DS9 station parts feel like the series has kicked it up a notch there, in mm-hmm. my opinion, in mm-hmm. the writing. And it's being held back by the Defiant storyline. Yeah, the Defiant stuff, I mean, I think the big struggle there is it's fairly unfocused. Uh, it seems like it seems like the big uh, uh, conceit for this, or I don't know if conceit's the right word, but the thing that they're they're driving at for each of these scenes, for the most part, is kind of looking at what the uh, um, um, occupation of, of of the Cardassians and the Dominion of Deep Space Nine, what that what that means to the way of life that's going on over there. It basically seems like they're trying to catch up with what's happening, how it's affecting people, but also getting a chance to take a look at some things in in, in a in a very not black or white kind of way. Like I love the scene at Quark's, yeah, where Quark yeah. is like, you know, I miss the Federation as much as anybody else, but I mean, it could be a lot worse. Yep, yep. That's uh, a very that that's a great, great Quark character moment. I think like yeah. the, that's a I think that's where Quark always kind of should be in the series. I don't know if he ever. I think he. They they do hover him around that area, but sometimes I feel like he, 
uh, fills a little bit too much into the nice guy federation role. Like I, I think yeah. if I were to mm-hmm. rewrite Quark, I would make him a little bit more of that cynical edge that he has in this one where mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. I think he's always been written that way, but sometimes he comes across as a little bit too forgiving, I think, in a lot of ways. And I, I like the way that he is here. I think that that really fits what the character should be. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a really good use of him. Um, and, you know, you've got the scene with Kira and Ducat, which is nice because it's, it's, you know, Ducat makes it really creepy. But at, at, the, at the beginning of it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, hey, we're kind of just doing our thing here. And then it... Kira starts calling him on selling out Cardassia, and he's going into the reasons why he did that. So it's like a the Deep Space Nine stuff has a really nice element of just kind of digging into what this all means currently. Um, whereas the Defiant stuff well, the, feels... Well, I, I, I would say that the, the DS9 stuff is characters in a new situation, so there's a lot to dig yeah, into yeah, with it. Yeah, um, but the Defiant stuff feels... I mean, they're literally not doing anything for the first half of the episode. They're just like, I don't even know where they're going. I can't. They're going to some station or whatever. But, yeah. but I think that's part of the problem. When you're stuck on a ship going somewhere and you're talking about all this stuff that has happened off screen, but the stuff that's happening on screen isn't really interesting, then it all just kind of like turns into the boring, a bunch of guys on the Defiant trying to get somewhere thing. Yeah. Because um, I, well, I, I, I mean, like there's even a scene... <laughs> They even spend time, maybe this comes up and has plays up later, I don't know, but like they even spend time talking about how Cisco gets a headache from the Google classes <laughs> that the uh, that the Jem Hadar use, and then so uh, Garrick is like, well, I mean, I could wear them, I could probably help, and they spend like a few minutes on that, Yeah, yep. which I don't know if that comes up again, I don't, who knows, but it was just, it was a, that's how little is happening, <laughs> um, where they have other stuff that is interesting, where like as, um, uh, Cisco, I guess technically he wasn't benched, but they, you know, being taken off the Defiant and taken off on the front line. Mission. He's got to, he's got to do this. Uh, other yeah, special yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I was more interested in, in Cisco's, uh, determination to get back to the front line than I was a lot of the other stuff that would have been, there wasn't really a good scene where he got to, you know, voice that very much. I think that, um, I think the, um, What's I, I think it's kind of it's what it touches on. But I, I did think, want to hear more about Worf's wedding planner, I can tell you that much. <laughs> what Sorry, I think it ahead. touches on is um we've had a problem where we we discuss things like discovery and we discuss things like uh, what goes on in this show. And there's like this there's this choice you have to make as a writer as to when you show something and when you don't show something. And it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to see when it works and when it doesn't. I think that the DS9 stuff works because you are actually seeing the changes that have happened. Like yes. they, they're very much yes. like a part of the story and the characters are invested in it. Yep. The the defiant storyline I think suffers because it's people talking about the war and you're not see, you're not seeing anything really. Like they show you the ships of um like the fleet coming back that's been uh roughed up a little bit and they're talking about the losses, but it's all talk and you're not seeing it. It's all just like things are going badly. Bashir's going to come in and tell us things are going badly. 112 ships got blown up. That's very bad. Martok broke his arm. That's very bad. Like there's, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. You're not seeing the actual implication of the war on people, which is what I think the, the station scenes really effectively sell. How like yeah. Kira feels she's stuck somewhere. The Wayun and Dukat dichotomy continues to be confusing. Odo learns that he can kind of push Wayun around, but he's also not sure about how far Wayun is willing to go for him, which is really interesting. And I think that the even the chance that they had, I thought one of the biggest mistakes they make on the Defiant thing is there's that Federation ship that chases them right into mm-hmm. Jem'Hadar territory. 
I would have rewritten that to the ship, uh, the Federation ship chases them into Jem'Hadar territory and uh, they think they've gotten away or whatever, or like it's, it's an imminent destruction for Cisco on the ship. He's about to be destroyed by this Federation ship. And all of a sudden those Jem'Hadar, um, those three Jem'Hadar ships appear out of nowhere and destroy the Starfleet vessel. Right. Yeah. So that would have been like, I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Their actions actually caused some more suffering as opposed to that thing getting away like there that, and that would have sold their mission to me a little bit more. Like if they, if they were on a life or death thing like this, where they have to get in, they can't tell the ship what's going on and it causes those people to die at the same time. I feel like that's a real boost to the tragedy or the, the drama, I suppose of that story. And they don't do it. I was kind of surprised. Or at the very least, they, I mean, they don't even successfully destroy their weapons array. Like, if they had successfully destroyed their weapons array, that at least would have added some more edge to it, where I was like, shit, I hope he can get out of here. Sure. We just, we just, short, we just you know, handicapped him in the face of a bunch of Jem'Hadar ships. So you don't even have to sh- go that far as to show them, you know, a- actively destroying a, a Federation ship. But you could put them in a situation where it's a very good possibility that they have caused the destruction of a ship. In oh, and, and I'm talking about the other Jem'Hadar ships destroy the Starfleet ship. Oh, I see. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, well, what? either way, yeah, either way. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think honestly, what I, I actually kind of found that bit interesting. Um, you could have probably gotten like a whole episode out of just trying to figure out how to, or I should say a whole B plot out of them and the Jem'Hadar ship trying to figure out how to evade this, uh, um, the hunting Starfleet ship yeah, yeah. without having to fight them and then you know that kind of that like that's you know you could have get into like balance of terror type ter- territory there it would be kind of interesting yeah, yeah. um except they'd I have to be what, on the defense of the right they'd have to be on the defense yeah. of the entire time while the starship yeah. is unaware of who they are and is trying to destroy them yeah yeah um i think what i probably would have done is i would have started the episode at the space station i think i probably would have gotten rid of most of the the the, the flying to the space station stuff yeah and just gotten right into it and, been, and you know like captain's log the battle's been going on for three months uh we've taken heavy casualties we're back at the star thing we're back at the st- star base for further instructions and then you could get into uh you're being taken off the front lines why these people out there they're getting killed there's you know like that's when you can kind of get into that and you can get that exposition out through an impassioned speech yeah. about wanting to get back to the front lines and help instead of fucking Bashir and Nog just being like yep it's pretty <laughs> hairy out there guys yeah, and what yeah. happened what happened in the off season that everybody treats Bashir like a fucking computer now <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about what do you think of Bashir's new uh, characterization here? He he had that episode in the middle of the last season where it was revealed that he's genetically modified. However, yeah. he decided not to really adopt that until I guess you could say this is three months later. So that's the change in him. But he he's now kind of a different character. Uh, did you have any thoughts about one way or the other? I kind of like this new Bashir. Um, I. I, and I don't know if that's just because it's such a contrast with his happy-go-lucky nature beforehand in the earlier seasons, but he's kind mm-hmm. of—it's a very tropey Star Trek character, I guess, to have the person who can like spit out the statistics for you on the on the spot. But I, I feel like because he's a normal human guy who can do it, it kind of adds something that's a little bit more interesting. It's usually Data, who's an android, or Spock, who's the basically an android and doesn't feel things. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I think because it's it's kind of. I guess it's kind of unmotivated at this point. I don't. Is it supposed to be a result of war weariness or something? Or it just seems so 
out of left field and he doesn't get a chance to really explain himself in the episode that it's that's what I it feels really yeah yeah I think it's it feels really odd. Where he's 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 kind of a broken uh, he's not broken but he's he's more he's ta- he's lost his um glimmer of happiness I suppose would yeah. be the way to describe it yeah yeah I mean I don't I I find it it was jarring enough that I I didn't really enjoy it in this episode but uh especially because they don't nobody even really talks about it they just kind of make the only thing that 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 is really brought up is Garrick uh, gives him shit for being genetically modified. But aside from that, they don't really talk about his change in attitude at all. Mm-hmm. I think maybe if there was there is there was or is in the future some explanation of it or discussion of his feelings, then maybe I'd be a little bit better with it. But it's just so jarring a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. I think that the the defined stuff is all is all very much very kind of fine. It comes down to the you know split second, last minute push of the button. We're going to outrun this explosion as the shields mm-hmm. fail and all that stuff. And it, it's fine. It, it's it's it sets up the next episode well, which is what it really takes to, to which is all that it's really trying to do because the plot itself is no great shakes for that. It's a very simple idea. Um, mm-hmm. But now they're crippled and sort of heading back to Federation space very slowly and things like that. I, I don't know. It it really did stick out to me how strange those scenes were. I, I would agree with you that I think they probably should have just opened with a conference scene where the admiral is speaking to them and giving them a briefing about what's going on, and we ignore the mm-hmm. Worf and Dax wedding talk and uh, you know learning about how the war is going on the ship and stuff like that. It it, it also just. I think that something about the dialogue of those scenes is a little bit hokey. It, it's just, it's a lot of that like very grand proclamations about like, well, the, you know, things are going badly. We can't win without this happening and we'll get those things fixed. And O'Brien, you know, things have never been worse and buck up uh, cadet and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, if you, I wouldn't say it's bad. It just, it really sticks out to me as a holdover of the old way of being. And it, you know, to tie it into more of a modern thing, it's like they didn't have the stuff to, they didn't have a story to tell you to get this piece over to where they needed to be at the end of the episode. So you just kind of end up with this storyline in place. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a, they they do a lot, you know, they, they, they do a lot with that storyline, but they, I should say a lot happens, but they don't do a lot with it. Like they have a lot of scene changes and a lot of movement and a lot of stuff going on and you know changing ships and then they gotta go and do this and then things blow up. Um, and then the, the seems... drama, the drama of blowing it up is just the the station randomly decides to hold them for a little bit. Like there's no, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just kind of an artificial problem that they make. It's not like they and get... even I was just gonna say the way they get out of it too. It's like you we have to time it exactly so that we do whatever. A second and a half before the bomb, so oh shit, it blew up early, right? <laughs> and nothing, and, 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 and nothing happens. It blows up early, and they're fine, and they're just like, oh well, good job, Dax. And she's like, yeah, right, cool. I, I I thought that too. I guess the takeaway is that if they had done it perfectly, the ship wouldn't be damaged. I guess yeah, is kind but of but it thing. is it is very it's very minor. It's a very minor yeah, difference. Yeah, and it is a very manufactured. Uh, kind of, I mean, well, you know, I mean. It's a, it's a fictional thing. Everything is manufactured. But it's you know an unsubtle I mean. it, it, manufacture. Yeah, it's just like this is yeah. done because we need to get them into a tough spot for next episode. Yeah, like uh, the, the the idea of what the mission is, I think, makes perfect sense because you always go for the tube. Yep. But, uh, um, yeah, I thought it was going to take a little bit longer or something or they would get stuck there or it wasn't going to work or, you know, something. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, and you know, I think I think also if you had opened with them on the station, you could get across a lot uh, uh, more of that war, war weariness stuff a lot more um, effectively. Because imagine like if instead of getting five or ten minutes or however long they spend on the Defiant, uh, where they're you know yapping back and forth, if the first thing you see of the crew is when they when like a door opens up and they they're getting off the Defiant, coming to the station, and they just look wiped. Right. You know, like if they look physically and emotionally beaten down by the war that they're fighting. I think coming back off of a break like that, and that that's the first thing you see of them, would have been really a, a really uh, um, powerful way to reintroduce what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, in contrast to the uh, Defiant stuff, I think the Station stuff is excellent. I think it might be some of the yeah. best DS9 that's ever been done to this point, outside of like very strong episodes and things. But I, the reason I like the Station DS9 stuff is because it feels more subtextual. Like it feels like Mm -hmm. characters are not exactly bluntly stating what they are thinking at a lot of way in a lot of scenes. I feel like, I feel like Wei Yun's motivations are very um, intentionally vague here as to what he thinks and how he's acting and what his ultimate goals are. I think Mm -hmm. that um, I love the station log from Dukat where he's talking about the war is going well. And he says things are going well for Cardassia and the Dominion. Um, he's still of that mindset where he can't quite buy into the fact that the Dominion now own Cardassia. Um, mm. And I think that the... We talked about the Quark scene and stuff. I, I just think that the all of those scenes are acted really well, and it's a fresh of breath air because those characters are now... A, fr- the, a fresh of breath air? A fresh of... It's a, <laughs> We haven't been we haven't been talking. It's a breath of fresh air. I think that's appropriate. It's a um they've changed up stuff enough at this point. Like the the where we were worried about characters running out of stories in the last season because things mm. were starting to feel repetitive. What's happening on the station is brand new to them. Yeah. And you're really getting a first sense of this is a totally new status quo that they're all under. And it really opens yeah. up the storylines for those characters. I think it's really great. I think that almost all of those scenes are terrific. I would still say the Jake scene is not particularly great, but I think everything else is really, really good. Yeah. I think what the key is too, is that it's, it's a new status quo, but it's not entirely foreign. Like it's a new status quo that's builds off stuff that they've been dealing with for five seasons or or so. Right. Like the because we know situation. Dukat. Yeah. Yeah, the situation with Kira and Ducat, their relationship. That's a new status quo, but and you know you're you're and you're putting Kira into a into a new uh, motivational space other than former terrorist whose past keeps coming back to haunt her. Yeah. You know she she's got a new set of stories to deal with, but. They're still rooted in the history and and the characterization and stuff that you've that you've that they've been working on for for so long. Well, they've, um, they've kind of brought her. They've had they've they've done such a, something interesting because they haven't changed her. They've brought her back into her terrorist form, sort of like she yeah, she yeah. is now back in what she grew up with, which is being a subversive uh, actor on the Cardassians and. Well, she doesn't have to hide anymore because the Cardassians are sort of under the thumb of the Dominion who don't want things with the Bajorans to go south. She's she's still acting as the person who's trying to sabotage what the Cardassians are up to. So she, in a way, she's come home uh, as her characterization. And she's older now and it's a different situation, but it's still she's playing to her strengths of being a subversive agent, basically working against the Cardassians. 
Yeah, and I mean she's she's a subversive agent, but she's also a subversive agent with a with an office job. Yep. You know? Yeah. Or I, I don't know if office job is you know what I mean. She like, can she do has, it through she has, appropriate channels, yeah, I guess would be the way. Yeah, she has responsibilities and stuff. She's not just uh, out there in the bush, you know, waiting to shoot someone in the head. Yeah, she's moved on um, from her uh, light in the dark where she blew up that guy's house and made that guy very angry. Yeah. But she's she's no longer um she can't she can't operate with impunity and just kill innocents anymore at this point. She's known. She's a known commodity. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's, that is why it works so well. The fact that they are, they're shifting things, but they're not moving outside of the stuff that we're, that we're familiar with, um, versus a status quo shift that feels like a complete reboot sort of, uh, I'm not going to use any examples, but let's say if instead of the dominion showing up, they, the deep space nine got sucked into the wormhole and ended up a thousand years in the future. (laughs) You know, it's it's uh, that kind of thing is a status quo shift. That's you, basically you go and like, ah, right, well, let's just start. Out. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah. it doesn't feel organic to the story you're telling. Um, so it's nice that they make this sort of change and they keep it inside the scope of their uh, pre-existing story. And uh, yeah, it works really well. And I'll um, I mentioned it every single time, but I, I absolutely adore Dukat and Wayun's interactions in these things. Yes, I, I think yeah. they're very. Combs is a great actor. Alemo is a great actor. I think that they're two great actors playing very good, great characters who um, have a nice, like the tension between them. I just, I'm really, what are your thoughts about Wei Yun? I find Wei Yun hard to pin. I think Combs mm. does a great job of not making you as an audience member aware of whether or not he is naive or if he is totally controlling things and he's yeah, got like yeah. everyone marching to the plan that he wants. I think yeah. the episode goes both way with that because his intro scene, he comes across as almost an incompetent peacekeeper who's just trying his best to stop the Cardassians from uh, harassing or imprisoning the Bajorans. And he doesn't seem like he has a lot of power. But the way he plays the Odo scene at the end gives Kira this feeling that things aren't going particularly the way that she expected them to go. And I think it's a great way to play both of them. Yeah, I think the the variable there is Odo um, because what... What he what they do with him that I really like is that is he still has um, reverence for Odo because he's a changeling and therefore a founder, um, and he kind of reacts. He still reacts in a little bit of awe when he talks about him, but at the same time he's also using him against Ducat, which I enjoy. Um, so yeah, he, they kind of have him gonna. He's he's very fluid in that in that middle area when it comes to Odo. Whether it's uh, uh, um, try because he's not they're not playing him as completely subservient to the uh, the concept of the of the, of the founder, but they're also not playing it ex- totally like he's just using it as an excuse or using it as a as a as another card in his deck. There's actually a a really nice thing that he does. Um, th- this like it's almost too over the top. It, it, it only Jeffrey Combs could go over the top with an eye gesture. <laughs> But he does this thing where he, when he's talking to Odo, Odo's facing away from him, and he's looking directly at him. And then when Odo turns around, Combs drops his eyes down, and then he just like slowly looks up at him, kind of almost like a dog would. Yeah, yeah. And it's this really like nice sort of uh, going from strongly talking to someone to this like instant supplication. But there's a hint of like I'm just doing this because I'm fucking with. Ducat, yeah. you know, yeah. like there's there's a lot in it. There's a lot in 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 one eye gesture from him. 
But at the same time, it also you could also look at it and be like, well, he's really chewing the eye scenery there. <laughs> um, but he's, I mean, he's making a choice about how to play that, and he and he's playing it in in some form of supplication, whether or not that is uh, 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 sincere or. Um, uh, mani- mani- in a more manipulative kind of um, origin. Yeah, I guess you could. I mean, I guess you could argue it could sort of split the middle because I would. I would imagine that the Vorta see themselves as closer to the founders than the Cardassians are. Like the the Vorta must view the Cardassians as a kind of outsider to Dominion culture. Like they're a part of it, but not really. So Wayun seeing Wayun thinking that he should make inroads with Odo seems like a logical outcome for someone who would believe in the founder's sort of divinity and mm-hmm. be a way to screw over Dukat. Like, I, I think that Wayun should be interested in building that relationship with Odo at the expense of Dukat. And it, it might not be for um, perfectly selfish reasons. Like, he might be thinking of the good of the Dominion, I suppose, would be the way to think about it. But mm-hmm. I, I get the sense from the performance that it could go either way. And I think they leave you in a good spot wondering where it is. And as far as his... um submissive behavior i i love that touch that he does i love everything combs does with his hands when he approaches founders like odo and like the Mm. way he looks at them and i actually honestly like think the director should have told the gem hadar to have more deference to the founders when they enter like when when odo walks by gem hadar they should kneel or something in front of him like i i feel that should be something that's always there and combs always does that you always get the sense that Wayun is approaching a god that like he will do whatever this thing wants him to do without any questions and even if he gets something extra out of it he's still doing it out of a sense of I have to do what this person tells me to do yeah I actually for a second in that in the uh Quark's bar scene thought that they were doing a thing where um the Jem'Hadar were kind of ignoring Quark because they were all looking over at Odo oh yeah sure yeah uh, but but they weren't <laughs> no <laughs> they, they've been curiously inconsistent with that stuff but who knows like i guess it fits the vorta um middle management sort of characterization where they are sycophantic in a way that the Jem'Hadar might not be mm-hmm. uh but I, I think a lot of that just comes down to the personality of the actors playing them and stuff like that yeah, but um yeah. outside of that i think that the the kira stuff is good i think odo's great i like quark um i think that pretty much every scene on the station is a really strong well-written scene uh that you know you have a lot of room to play with the stuff that they're giving you there. It's really weird. Uh, going back to the defiance stuff for a second, that scene with Cisco's dad is really weird, isn't it? In what sense? Like, it's just, I don't know. It, why even bother having a scene where he calls his grandfather, calls his father to tell him that he left his son on the play? I don't, it just seems like such a weird. What do you think was the point of that scene? I I, th- I guess that would be a problem I have too. I don't know why he's calling his father at that point. Oh, if only yeah. to recognize or uh, that scene must come before we see Jake. So is it to remind the audience of where Jake is before you get surprised that he's on the station? I guess, or, or I mean, maybe to reinforce the guilt that he has for leaving him there or something. Or, I think they're or, underselling that either way. I I don't feel that that yeah. scene with his dad really sells the uh, Cisco leaving Jake behind similarly similarly to the way the call to arms ended where Cisco's like damn it Jake anyway I'll see him later and then they just fly off you know I yeah. I feel that Cisco should be 
more consumed with what Jake is up to. And I understand that that doesn't feel very Star Trek-y because we need Cisco to go off and run this mission and stuff, but he's, I think he's curiously detached from what Jake might be up to. Yeah, I mean, it's just that scene, and then he doesn't talk about him again for right. the rest of the episode. Yeah, and it, I, I think that that's maybe my problem with the scene. That scene feels similar to the the problem that they insert with the, the ship has to go to warp to escape this explosion. It feels like it was just inserted there to remind the audience. It's more of a technical scene than it is a scene yeah. that feels like it should exist. Yeah, and I guess, it, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. There's just something weird about him going out of the way to call his dad to tell him that stuff. <laughs> It just, you know, like why, why not just have him talk about it with Dax or something? Well, Dax know? is busy with the wedding planning. That's true. Yeah, gotta have the the murder the, before the the, the, the tar guilt. <laughs> Poor Wharf. Poor Wharf. He the uh, he wants the traditional Klingon wedding, I suppose, which is I do, totally in character. I did like at the end of that scene though, where they basically had Cisco let everyone know that. Worf and Dax won't be around for a while because they are just <laughs> screwing like crazy. Him and, him and Martok just clank their cups together and say, well, those <laughs> those kids, those kids, gotta love them. Um, I think that's it. Do we have anything else you want to talk about before we go to patron thoughts? Um, my one question, which is just a totally not relative, relevant to any story stuff, is the Federation ship that they, that they end up fighting with, is that a... The same design as the ship from Enterprise, because it looks very similar. I'm not sure. Uh, no, I actually don't. I'm sure I, someone out there would not. I, but. I I didn't notice what kind of ship it was. I noticed a few ships that I think I've never seen before in the little yeah. uh, when the fleets is returning. So I don't know if it's a new design or something. Could be the Enterprise yeah, I, I'd, design. I'd be curious if anybody knows or has. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure someone does because uh, people know this stuff. Do you remember but, uh, what, uh, what what ship it was, I suppose? I could look it up here. I, I actually I, I don't. The name of the guy who who flew it was Charlie. I remember that. It's the Centaur. The Centaur. Centaur it's a Centaur-type yeah. starship, which looks wow. a lot like the Discovery, actually, now that I'm oh, looking it? at it. Let me see here. Uh, not really. <laughs> it looks kind of like the Reliant a little bit. Um, fairly generic-looking. L- yeah, I guess. Like um, discovery. Yeah, I guess it does kind of look like Discovery. Now that I'm looking at. It. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Yeah, I guess it doesn't look quite as much like the Enterprise ship as as I thought it did. No, it, it um, looks very much of this era of Star Trek type thing. Yeah, it's just the yeah. saucer with the two nacelles and kind of a generic uh, look to it. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I also, it's you know, I understand what they're trying to do with that Charlie guy thing, but like for the three minutes that that ship is chasing them, all Cisco is doing is saying things like, "Come on, Charlie." God damn it, yeah. Charlie. Like, what's Charlie doing over there? It's like, well, I've never seen Charlie. I don't, I don't need Cisco sort of going off on a first name basis about what this guy is and what this guy represents. It's another one of those. Uh, Cisco's just going to tell you everything about this guy as opposed to you knowing anything about him. And, yes, you, you know, that, yeah. that'll build the drama. Yeah, it would have been nice if they had used a, a, a captain or, or a name that we recognized or something yeah. that he had some connection to. Yeah. Uh, looking at it now, it looks like the, the main difference is that the... And the NX-01 has the nacelles above the saucer. Oh, sure. And this one's and below. The, uh, yeah, the Centaur is, is below and a little bit wider. Which, uh, like which a, uh, that's a big... Like a child just learning how to skate. <laughs> that's a big uh, design difference. Do you prefer one way or the other, nacelles above or below? Um, I always, I'm always going to prefer above because mm-hmm. it's just it's just reminiscent of the Enterprise, you know? It is. And I think they look a little bit like... Um, 
hockey skates or something when they're below yeah. like they look a little yeah. bit like a um catamaran or something and i'm yeah. not sure that i i think that that's as uh interesting to look at it looks it looks more distinct when they're above yeah yeah it, it uh is i'm actually looking at a picture right now that's uh the sister ship of the the enterprise or i don't know it looks it might be fake but it's, it has it's it's the nx01 style enterprise looking ship but then the cells are on the bottom mm-hmm. and yeah it just it looks like a weird snowmobile or something yeah 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 let's um let's take a break we'll play an audio clip and we are going to come back we're going to read some patron thoughts give our final thoughts and then we are going to call this one a day you feel i've betrayed you not just me everyone even your own people Condessia was on the edge of an abyss, Major. The war with the Klingons left us a third-rate power. My people had lost their way. I've made them strong again. At what price? You sold Cardassia to the Dominion. Yes. A high price, to be sure. But look what we're getting in return. The Alpha Quadrant itself. We'll see about that. <laughs> yes, we will. Oh, I could make things very pleasant for you here, Kara. You could start by doing something about your breath. I'm a patient man. I can wait. Wait for what? What do you think is going to happen here, Dukat? That you're going to wear me down with your charming personality? That I'm going to be swept off my feet by that insincere smile? Are you really so deluded that you actually believe that we're going to have some kind of intimate relationship? Oh, we already do. All right, everybody. This is your final chance on Wednesday. No, this is already done. Never mind. You missed it. The the Orville's over. This is coming out on Thursday, and uh, you had to do this by Wednesday. Never mind that. But anyway, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. You could get things like the Orville if you had signed up in time. Uh, But otherwise, you get some extra content. You support the show. It's much appreciated. And also, the Captain Tier gets a shout-out. So thanks very much. Go to Andrew Cholog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David K., Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Matt Flores, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Michael Pond, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russ Graham, Russell Elledge, Sam Custer, Santos Grimms, Santo Gonzalez, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Now, Clay, let's go to uh, patron thoughts. Boy, this this like two weeks off of whatever we've had, my tongue feels like it is made of lead here. I'm going to <laughs> go here, figure out what day it is, and then we're going to talk about this. So, if you support the show on Patreon.com, you can leave your comments about upcoming episodes and we'll read them. Spinobi says, A time to stand. This is where DS9 becomes truly great in terms of its long-form storytelling. It dips its toes into now what is somewhat commonplace in modern shows, changing the status quo. This shift for the characters and for the setting with the official start of the Dominion War gives me feels of Babylon 5 in the best way possible. To me, arcs like this are what pushes DS9 ahead of the other Star Trek shows. The gut punch the audience feels when seeing Dukat's and Sisko's place in command of the station, coupled with the characters scattered and most being at their lowest points thus far in the show, is payoff that feels earned. This would only land so hard with six seasons of establishment of characters and the setting. Crazy to watch this in retrospect, knowing that the writers didn't even invent the Dominion until deep into season two. 
DS9 wins the award for best flying by the seat of their pants story ever. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, it's going to be really interesting to me after these seven episodes when it's like, you've just finished a massive seven episode war arc. And next week, Bashir's dating two girls at the same time and they don't know about no, it. No, it's a Ferengi comedy episode. It's always going to be oh, Ferengi Even comedy. worse. That's what I should have said. That was like my, my second choice. <laughs> it will be strange. Um, Hopefully, like, hopefully Rom gets really injured in the war, so it's like a <laughs> Ferengi, Ferengi comedy episode, but, 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 uh, uh, Rom is like, has massive burns on the left side of his body and is confined to a chair or something. People are, people are going to, uh, remind you that you said that. I'm not going to say anything else, but just, uh, just oh, remember boy. that you said that. Here we go. Um, Andrew Cherlog says, the time to stand. I, before I read Andrew's comment, I would like, it will be interesting. It's not quite as jarring as it is because the war still continues after this. It's just that mm-hmm. they they don't have this continuing, very obviously, episode ends here and new one picks up right where it starts. Um, mm-hmm. It goes back to its more traditional Star Trek-y thing, but the main story outline is still the same. Andrew says, uh, time to stand. The first time, excluding the Borg, that we see the Federation on the losing end of a conflict. The stress is evident and the worry seems real. The exchange between Bashir, Martok, and Sisko is perfect. The reveal of Dukat and Sisko's office holding the baseball and Kira having to play nice is uncomfortable in a great way. Amazing start to season six and a clear five, in my opinion. I don't know if you remember, um, Clay, when we did Nemesis. Uh, at the start of the Nemesis episode, uh, they're walking through the hallway and Picard says that uh, they, you know, the Enterprise or Worf or something is off doing a um, mission to destroy Ketracel White site for again in the Dominion War. Oh, really? I mentioned it at the time just by saying like, you're not going to understand this now, Clay. But when we get into DS9, it'll kind of be funny when you go back to Nemesis and they're on this sort of weird adventure while this is all happening. Um, the timeline kind of doesn't really jive with each other, but it's a, just a weird little slice of life. Hmm. Of they mention the Dominion War, but the ship is not actually involved in it. Oh, that's fun. I mean, it's always nice that they can keep that stuff linked, yeah, even, yeah. if even peripherally. Would um, would it have been interesting to see the Enterprise in the Dominion War at that point? Like, I think that they wanted to keep them separate because they weren't interested in what DS9 was doing at that point. Like, they thought that yeah. the audience would not care or know about what was going on in DS9. But I, I, in retrospect, I would have liked them to have dovetailed it a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think that would have been nice. Are you saying... Nemesis should be should have been about the Dominion War, or just have the Enterprise show up on Deep Space Nine. Um, I think the I think they should have done with some kind of uh, war storyline for Nemesis. I think. Oh yeah. Like I, yeah. W- dealing with the content of Nemesis, I think you could actually. It's not that big of a shift, really. I, I mean, there's the cloning you'd have to get around, but um, the Vorta are cloners. I think that you could do something like that. So who knows? Yeah. It- <laughs> It is kind of weird to have the flagship of the Federation off dealing with Tom Hardy Picard's <laughs> Picard's half Romulan clone. If you're interested in hearing while the rest of the entire rest of 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 Starfleet is embroiled in this getting massive destroyed. war, <laughs> it's like it's like it, it, it's like that's what that's what the Enterprise was off doing um, during the Klingon War on Discovery right, when they were like, no, 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 you guys. <laughs> You, we ju- you need to be designated survivor in case the Starfleet gets destroyed. That's right. That's um, that's a nice repetition of theme, I suppose. There, it's too bad they didn't they didn't make See, it. See, Nemesis. They did watch the old shows. Uh, if you guys are interested in our thoughts about Nemesis, which I will sum up our our opinion of that is, it's the most thematic movie with absolutely no theme in it whatsoever. <laughs> you can listen to our coverage of Nemesis. 
Kyle Barrett. Attempt- yeah, it's fine. What's that? It's fine. Nemesis is fine. Nemesis could yeah. have been great, and Nemesis is fine. Uh, Kyle Barrett says, "A time to stand." So uh, and so, the best season of any Star Trek series begins, and what a beginning! Did you know that it's been three months since the Dominion took over the station? They only say it about fifty times, but apart from that, and the fact that Bashir is suddenly better at math than Carol Vorderman—that's a reference for UK listeners—I have no complaints. The scene between Kira and Dukats is probably my favorite of the episode, and the way the episode checks in with each character and explores how their world and mindset has changed is fantastic. After almost running out of stories to tell with these characters last season, this episode rejuvenates the series and the characters within, ready for the best run of episodes in the franchise's history. Listen, I'm just going to say this once. You're not putting in any references that I don't get by being stricken <laughs> from the record. I'm not having in-jokes floating around in our in our, our user comments here, okay? Who is who's the person that we would know that's good at math? Stephen Hawking, I guess? Sure. With, with the, <laughs> who's Carol Vorderman? I, no I don't know. It's like saying, it's like saying, <laughs> Bashir's better at math than my cousin Matt. Well, I would respond to Kyle by just saying, uh, this episode is not as good as a club sandwich, but it's pretty damn good. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a eat it literally. <laughs> that's a discord uh, joke for people. If you're interested, yeah, we got to stop doing that. Joining, gonna, I got to put the kibosh on that right now. Joining the joke and, uh, you know, learning what we're talking about on the show, you can join our Discord. Stephen- if you'd like to hear all the best jokes that you won't get, join our Patreon. <laughs> Stephen Cobb, a time to stand. Beautiful storytelling. As previously noted, the mess hall scene with Worf, Dex, Cisco, Martok, and Bashir was amazing. Every bit was quality character building, including Cisco's ill-hidden smiles. Then coming back from the opening credits and you get Dukat's log to set the scene, done precisely how you would expect a Starfleet person to do it. It was a great shift of perspective. Will Yates, a time to stand. I love the very first scene in this because it lays the groundwork for a situation a hundred times better than the dialogue that follows. It's true to form that Quirk would find all the good he can in the situation. Jeffrey Combs just nails every scene in this, but especially when talking with Dukat. When he threatens with a smile, it sends chills up my spine. The way Dukat mentally assaults Kira makes me think of what his sadism truly meant for Bajor during the first occupation. Bashir seems very different right away, and after months of war, I can see the doctor becoming fatalistic. Last but not least, thank God they changed the Dominion headsets from last season. But since they bring it up anyway, I'd have liked to throw away line that these versions are for, for a single ship and that last season's monstrosities were for fleets or something. Good start. Sure. Sure. Uh, Yarpy says, a time stand, a very good start for a new season, but instead of continuing from where the last episode left off, the show jumps three months into the war, which isn't going well. It was a great choice to show both sides of the conflict and what's going on at the station. I just love Combs' Wayun, and he has a pretty good chemistry with Alamo. Those uh, those headsets from last season really do seem like... You know, remember when, like, Sega Genesis or Super Nintendo would come out with a stupid add-on piece that mm-hmm. had, like, one game you could play with it, but you had to buy this monstrosity of an extra controller thing yeah. that was like a gun... Or a belt that you wore, or some shit like that. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, Feel, it, those those headsets, they make Toe Jam and Earl look fantastic. Yes, but that's all you can do with them. Yeah, it's never been better. It's never been more uh, frustrating to jump, but felt cooler in a Mario game than when yeah. you're wearing those headsets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you remember? Uh, actually, no, I don't think you would have. You would have been around for this, but uh, years ago, uh, Cordy got this amazing. Uh, there was this mech game for Xbox. I don't remember what it was called. Oh, I do but, remember that game where you had the, oh, little, you were, yeah. you had the little like panel in front of you. Yeah, like, it came panel. with like an entire console for like driving a mech yeah, thing. Yeah. 
it was like three hundred dollars or something, but it, it looked amazing, and it had like an eject button where you had to flip open a thi- <laughs> flip open a little glass piece and hit the button to eject. Yeah, the game was garbage, but the that thing alone was fucking amazing. Armored Core or something, I think it's called. Something like that. Something yeah, like it was that. incredibly difficult. I, I remember that though. That's yeah. That's um, that that's a big ask, I suppose, to buy that thing for a terrible game. But it was a really cool idea. It looked great. Yeah. Here's a question. Going back to ships, what looks weirder? Nacelles on the bottom or a single nacelle ship? A uh, single n- nacelle. Yeah. Yeah. Those ships look ridiculous. I don't know why they make them. Are, uh, are there even many? I can't th- I think of- There's um, only a couple. I looked I, I looked it up while we were talking, and they there's uh, the I, Freedom, the which freedom. is uh, basically the, the saucer section from the Enterprise and one nacelle underneath it from the Enterprise. What series and is that, it from? Uh, you don't you, you don't have it anymore. I have no idea. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. USS Freedom Star Trek. Uh, the Freedom class. It's a 22nd century class. That one has two. It looks like is that from a movie? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's from. It might be just from a game. It's I'm st- not sure. This one's from Star Trek Beyond. So that makes sense. And what's this one? Oh, and they have uh, Saladin, which is also it's a like a, a TOS style, same setup where it's a TOS style. Oh uh, yeah. Saucer. This type is noted for being one of the small that has one nacelle. Wow. Yeah. Like, there's like no good pictures of them. They're all blurry printouts of like a, a, a console or something. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. Definitely two is better. Uh, two anywhere is better than one nacelle. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think you can get away with one if the neck isn't too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause some of them, the necks look ridiculous on them, but if they're short, if they're shorter necks and it looks proportional, yeah, if it just then, looks like uh, a lollipop that's on its side, I think it's, yeah. it's maybe okay, but it, it, yeah, I, if for whatever reason, like if I was designing that, I would say that those can't go very fast, you know, like that's, yes. my, that's yeah. my takeaway. It would be like kind of like a shuttle would look like that, but who knows? That's, uh, that's yeah. just the, the aesthetic, I suppose. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, Inkover. It says, a time to stand. Finally, the long-awaited continuous storyline with choices and consequences and meaningful story arcs. Captain Sisko truly is the prince that was promised. Hopefully, it's not going to end with Nog one-shotting the big bad and Rom becoming the emissary. I see what you did there. (laughs) Is that it for comments? Let me see here. No, Matt Ross says... A start that seems better than most two part uh, part twos, excuse me, for Star Trek. But a few things I found distracting, like where the hell does Bashir get the balls to keep interrupting and commenting? And when did he become the resident mentat, uh, men, uh, mentat like uh, yeah, mentat slash computer system on mission? Why really could they not put in chairs? I bet there's not bathrooms either. The tension between Dukat and Kira is an interesting term between them, and Kira's realization that she may question where her loyalties are. Odo seems easily able to slide back into his role with the authorities. Being chased by the centaur was well done, trying to figure out how to stay on mission and not give away their covert nature. The change in the eyewear display giving you a headache was a nice touch. And just making it from the mission left no, uh, just making it from the mission left no surprises, but it did have good tension. Overall, a good episode at the start of the war. Christian Pouch, a time to stand. A demoralizing start to the war. I love it. A lot of good pieces here. A great kit-bash ship, the Centaur, setting up the conflict on the station, the grave stakes of the war, the return of the crashed Jem'Hadar warship from last season. 
I think the story of the war is also good. We don't get bogged down in boring war details. The effectiveness of the Dominion war machine is is plainly evident by the wrecked fleet, and we see the crux of the conflicts on the station set up. One negative. Jake is naive and clueless. Ultimately, it's a very setup-heavy episode, but considering everything that's setting up, is setting, that it's setting up for, I think it's worth it for the payoff. Solid episode. Do, do, do. That's it. Thank you very much, patrons. Thank you for leaving comments. We're about to start season six, and I appreciate your comments. It's always nice to get the outside uh, thoughts and bring them into the show, see people have thought, see what people thought, and most importantly, see what they agreed with us about. So, Clay, what are you going to give uh, this one on a scale of one to five? Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. It's tough for me. Um, I think I also have to give it a four, although like it's kind of interesting in in context with call to arms. Like, I think I would rather watch this episode than call to arms. Would you say it again? You, you cut out for a second. Uh, I think I would rather watch this episode than call to arms. The one that was previous to it. Um, yeah. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that there's like, I, I think that, I think that there's more interesting stuff going on in this one than in Call to Arms. Mm. Where Call to Arms is kind of just a sort of like, not generic, but it's it's a very like predictable sort of Dominion take over the station and everyone gets out and then we leave on a bit of a cliffhanger. This one feels like it's a little bit more meaty to it. Although yeah, I think yeah. that the Defiant stuff is just really not interesting to the point where it, it brings down my rating a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely, they definitely give you more to chew on in this than Call to Arms. Yeah, I would agree. Call to Arms is fairly straightforward. Mm. Um, and they give you a little bit of intrigue at the end, but this one has so much good stuff happening on Deep Space Nine that you could, I mean, you could watch this. And I, I watching this and uh, uh, waiting for the next one, I think, is uh, more rife for your your brain kind of just chewing on stuff and, and taking it places than Call to Arms is. Because Call to Arms is sort of like, oh, that's that's crazy. Can't wait to see what happens next time. But this one, it's like, ooh, yeah. What's yeah, going on yeah. with Ducat and Kira? That's kind of, maybe I should write some fan fiction. That, that's a good point. Would that this I'm have not going to let anybody read. <laughs> would, <laughs> would this have been a, um, this? I mean, you could say that the season could have ended with either one of these episodes, I suppose. Like this one makes more sense because they had to make the time jump into three months in the future for the war mm-hmm. storyline to kick in. But yeah, they are. Um, it's kind of, you know, for I guess we can just talk about it's like the serialized nature here. Like what what I kind of like about what they do during this six episode thing is that they still it's still an episode of television. Each one of them, you know, like the the storyline yeah. is serialized, but they're still fairly self contained, self satisfying little bits of television, which is. You know, something that I think a lot of modern serialized TV has a problem with, where they kind of go for just the whole thing is a 12-hour story. And I, I, I like this balance that they have here. Um, but it, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, moving on yeah. to the next remaining of them. Looking forward to it. And then that's uh, that's it. That is the time to stand. Thank you guys very much for listening. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash the Penske file. Leave a couple of dollars a month and you get extra stuff. You can go to all the social media links. They are all down below. Facebook, Twitter, join the Discord, all that stuff. Were uh, were you surprised or as happy as I was that when Kira told Odo that, you know, he makes her smile or whatever, that he, they didn't do one of those uh, we watch Odo get a face boner shots? <laughs> 
because it was nice because the last last episode they were like you know what let's table this for now uh we'll deal with it when the war is over yeah and so when they when they had their little moment it wasn't like odo g- having one of those reactions where he's like oh, oh, oh. he's a man of his word he's gonna wait until yeah. the war is over before pursuing anything else about this so uh let's see here anything else anything you want to say clay before we uh sign off here um no i think i'm good for the moment all right it is thursday Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back Monday with Rocks and Shoals, uh, which is a very interesting episode. And um, continuing this Dominion War. Clay, I guess uh, it's still... Um, uh, I'll ask you now. So what do you think of this minorly serialized story here? I don't know how many three-parter things we've had. I can only think of Best of Both Worlds and then Family, which is kind of a three-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, is I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts about the serialized, like very serialized nature of this so far? Or did it stick out or does it just feel like a normal DS9 episode? I think there's enough there that feels familiar that it doesn't really stick out that much. I think the the biggest thing that stuck out actually was the was the very end um, where they ended up, they, they, they roll the credits over the busted up uh, Hadar ship flying off yeah. instead of their normal exterior shot of of deep space nine you know it's it's, it was a very clear um indication that things are not going back to to normal at the end of the episode yeah it's it's not a um because a lot of the episodes end with like a pan of the outside ship but they're usually at some kind of place where they're like well even though we don't know exactly what happened we're heading home it's that kind of thing and and here they're heading home but you you get the distinct sense that another adventure is going to happen on the way to their home like something has to happen here so uh it's kind of a neat little change but i I would agree that it's not um it's not drastic enough of a change where it really you feel like you notice it in a lot of ways and i i i'd be interested if like no one had ever told anyone about it would anyone watching this in order be like wow we're entering an arc here that i've never seen before um yeah i i think it i don't know if it would uh dawn if this was at the time, I don't know if it would really dawn on people until probably midway through the next episode yeah, I, or maybe I think the, the end of the next episode. I think the next episode when it wraps up and it's not over yet, I think you'd be like, well, that's weird. It's been it's been three episodes in a row, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. We will be back next week with Rocks and Shoals. See ya.